Welcome to Off the Rip with your hosts that front like they know the most. We talking smack about whoever, whatever is currently on our minds. We ain't no experts, so don't get hurt if we say something that rubs you the wrong way. This is a place where ideas get thrown out and tossed around. If you can't take the heat, get up out the kitchen. We about to serve them up. It's Reem D, Mook, and Shiz. It's Off the Rip. Nothing in common. Nothing to say, nothing to comment. I can't stay, come for the comments. Yo, 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 welcome back. We back on another one. It's off the rip. We here with the world's most dangerous host. We got Shiz here. What's up, Shiz? Yo. How you doing, man? Man, I can't complain. Um, pretty busy week. Um, was in Chicago literally for a day on Thursday. <laughs> and um honestly starting. Yeah, man. So I'm really just starting to feel the effects of you know just traveling so conveniently on a sunday where i gotta go back to work on monday so um yeah just just catching the healing um a lot of netflix shows out right now too love is blind a lot of nice reality shows so would love to do a segment on that obviously not today but you know definitely want to just you know dissect you know some of the themes that are happening in that but i'm cool bro Appreciate you asking. Well, you yeah, need sure. to get on his um Love Island. Move, mm, move away from Love Island. Go to that's Love a, Island. That's a that's a pandemic classic, bro. It's even it's even worse, man. Yeah, it's even worse. Yeah, it's bad. It's bad. See, see, I was telling I was telling shit this offline. I could watch like horror movies. I could watch like gory movies. Like, but I it's so hard for me to watch this reality TV stuff because I just get so so triggered by it. like so cringe it's so cringeworthy and it just brings me back to a place where i'm like i don't know if i can watch these people self-sabotage like this anymore but um yeah. it's funny but I, I have been keeping up with love is blind i will i will talk i could talk about that but um because you don't be catching feelings no more you be catching flights but you know i try to i try to but, um... all right <laughs> man get that tsa pre-check I got that. That's the thing. You got to. You got to. It's definitely a game changer. I honestly, like, low key, feel like I'm above people when I go through TSA preaching. Especially like, in I Logan look at, Airport. I, I definitely look at that line and I'm like, yo, y'all are all peasants. Like, I'm that's the peasant line. Here. Yeah, of course. So. <laughs> look at you, man. Look at how this man changed. Yeah, it's a, it's a glow up. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. What's up with you, Reem? How you been, Reem? I'm good, man. Doing well. Um, been uh real busy at work this was uh actually a pretty tough week at work with some stuff going on with some patients um so that was uh it it was difficult for some for some different reasons um so just kind of working through that and then i I went to um uh, a funeral for um someone on mercy side of the family this past weekend so we were in syracuse um for the weekend um, which is like funerals are tough, but it's also like a time when a lot of family will like get together. And it was cool just because her side of the family, like really they don't get together like that very often. So even coming together for something like that, they all recognize like, Hey, I haven't seen you in five years, 10 years, you know? So like, it, it was cool because they, you know, had a good time. Like we caught up and, you know, had some food and had drinks and just kind of like talked for a while and then went through the services and, and everything the next day. Um, but it's just nice to see that because I feel like people like a lot of people have a tough time with grief, right? Like it, it's not an easy thing. Um, but it was cool to see their side of the family handle it, you know, as well as they could. Um, 
and still try to appreciate just seeing each other and being around each other and supporting each other. Um, and I think, you know, for, for some of the funerals I've been, luckily I haven't been to too many, but sometimes it is really tough for people to have kind of like a, even any ounce of positivity. But I felt like as tough as it was, everybody was really just happy to be around each other. Um, and it was really nice. Like the services were really nice. Um, everything just kind of went really well. The weather was nice. So it was, it ended up being a, 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 as nice of an event as you can, you know, have for a funeral. Um, and again, just to like see her side of the family, just catch up with them was um, was good because even like 10 years in now, there's still some family that I haven't met yet. So um, it, it was nice to kind of talk with them and just catch up a little bit. Um, and it was nice to kind of like be social a little bit. I was definitely in my period of like trying to just do my own thing and isolate because of some of the the stuff going on at work and I didn't really want to go to this but it ended up kind of working out that I was there and just having to jump into conversation definitely helped me to uh you know get out of my funk a little bit um so we just got back last night and now just got my Sunday to relax before work tomorrow so do some gaming today go to the grocery store and just kind of see what happens but other than that I'm doing all right doing better definitely doing better yeah, man, thank you for that, and condolences to that side of the family, and you and Marissa, you. best wishes, man. Um, it's always interesting with funerals. I, you you said something that uh, stuck with me was, like, people being like, oh, we got to get together for, like, other occasions besides when it's just the bad, like, weddings and funerals, like, the only times, like, we get to see each other, you know? Mm -hmm. Yep. So, I, I relate to that. It's real. But, yeah. yeah. The longer, longer life is going on, it's like, the, that's the only time people actually can take the time to see each other um their families which is mm -hmm. interesting but yeah. yeah well um what's going on with you mook how you doing i'm doing doing blessed today so um this week my grandmother uh just had her 88th birthday so it's a blessing every year that um you know the the fact that um my daughter gets to see her great grandmother is always um always a great um a great thing to to still have um so i haven't been able to see her um because obviously um zoe's been sick the last couple of days and and you know obviously you don't want to bring you know a sick kid near my grandmother and stuff so but um that and then you know i'm sore right now um we played in the educators league last night o'brien we got our heads kicked in but we had fun <laughs> we had fun <laughs> Um, <laughs> that's so when you that know was, you got your ass what when you gotta rely on yeah we had fun <laughs> yeah it was we, we knew it was gonna be a struggle before the game because um going into the game we know that the charter schools you know the charter schools can can hire right out of college um there's usually not like you know that transition period you know where a lot of the bps you might have like tenure and things like that to to get in stuff so you know we we definitely are the oldest team in there but I thought I thought we held our own for the most part. We played the team that had won the league the last two years. Had some D two D three kids on it. <laughs> it was fun, but yeah, but. you had to give the the they put their pants one one pant leg on a time just like we do. Oh, I didn't give that speech. It was like you know what? There's not even <laughs> there's a time and a place for that speech. <laughs> today, last night wasn't it? Was so it was it up today? Was it out of reach? Like at the start of the game. As crazy as sound, it wasn't out of reach for like the first, like we'll say like five, ten minutes. And then you realize like 
I gotta start pacing myself because like you realize like the first few possessions, you're like trying to like make sure you keep it close, mm-hmm. but you burn yourself trying to exert yourself so much for those first few possessions that like midway through the first quarter, it's like if I'm going down to take a layup, if I'm not getting bailed out with a foul call and I end up on the <laughs> ground, it's gonna take me a minute to get back on defense and it's it's not really gonna help us in the long run. So I had to realize like, you know what? Maybe this game I'll put up a few jump shots so I can be get back on defense quicker. <laughs> get the cardio in. <laughs> exactly. But that's what's up. Cool, cool. That's that's what's up, fellas. Nice to hear from everybody. Um today we have an awesome guest. Um can't wait to introduce to introduce her. Actually, I'll let her introduce herself because she she'll say it way better than I can. Um, so take it away, Mel. What you got? Already starting off real extra as usual, but <laughs> thank you for that introduction. Um, my name is Mel Soto. My pronouns are she, her, hers. Um, I am a social worker and I have the the privilege of knowing uh, Darius and Rashawn from Wheelock. Oh, y'all have, you go by y'all nicknames here, huh? Should I, should I know that? Yeah, should- you know, you're just closing the government. So it's all right. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I'm giving, I'm giving full government names when we clearly know that there's nicknames being used. I apologize. Um, <laughs> but I know these two from Wheelock. Uh, we went to school together. We were in the JJYA Juvenile Justice and Youth Advocacy Program. Um, and we went to school together at Wheelock. And I went to um, grad school in Bridgewater. So homegrown uh, Boston-raised kid. Just excited to be here with y'all and to shoot the shit and talk about all things important. So thank you for having me. <laughs> Go Bears, yes. I was only there for like a, I, it was a short lived. I was an in and out kind of girl there. Like I, I went to <laughs> class and I was gone, but it was a great campus. Um, And I, I spent, I spent like, it, it's a hack. I tell all my kids at work. You don't have to go like public school is like the way to go. We were silly. We did we lock. We did we were young. We we made we made mistakes. We made choices. Yeah. Uh, we didn't know better. But after that roller coaster, I was like, let me go to public school. Um and yeah, I only spent like I think finding all the graduate assistantships and all the other things that they have available at that school. I think I only paid five thousand dollars for my grad degree. Um, all in all so I tell kids all the time look into those programs look into those graduate assistantships look into all the little things that you can do if you can spend 10 hours on campus they'll pay for half your shit usually it's like it it really is just you got to do your you got to do your googles and you got to do your research before you get on that campus Mm. Um, but I'm I'm a firm believer in the cheaper the better so let's go let's get this degree it all it's all the same on paper you know it doesn't matter about the name so for sure, for sure. I feel like hey, TP listen. lets us know that all the time. Hey, listen, <laughs> oh, you know what? I don't, I don't, I don't live life with regrets, but definitely that college debt is for sure a regret of mine. You know what I'm saying? So yeah it's like like mine is not bad I'm not gonna lie like I grew up super poor kid so I got all the good shit but I still came out of there with like twenty thousand dollars you know Mm. and if I went anywhere else I wouldn't have had any debt you know like but I think that very specific juvenile justice program you know that was a gift in itself and the Mm -hmm. the professors that we met were gifts in itself of like that was worth the money you know so I try to rationalize it in that way of like 
meeting those folks who really fueled us at that very important time in our careers was um was huge and it, I I like to believe it credits a lot to the way we are with one another as well like we're constantly like leaning on each other even out in the field I feel mm. like I'm seeing Wheelock alums floating everywhere and it's nice yeah, to have that up. comfort we're, yeah we're, all, okay, the time, everywhere. all the yeah, time so it's nice it's a comfort to know that all of us came from that program and I know the intentionality behind it mm. uh that's that feels really good to know that that we're out there like that so um, so, Mel, my first question for you, actually, as you talk about that is, um, and it might get back into a little bit more of your background, but um, so what drew you to JJYA, to juvenile justice and youth advocacy? What, what's your why, I guess, is essentially what I'm asking. Yeah, I I get that why a lot. And I always like just go back to this one very specific uh, example. I, I was a youth worker for a really long time um, in South End, actually. I grew up in the South End. I always say this. I grew up in West End, but there's no kids here. There's no community here. Um, all of us kind of trickle everywhere else to find somewhere to kind of like belong. Um, and because I went to school in the South End, it was super easy to just hang out over there and be over there all the time. And I actually had my first job there. And it was at an after school program. And I just loved it so much. I loved being around community. I loved being around people who genuinely cared about young people in a way that felt nurturing and real and honest. And there was this one time where all these girls were fighting and we didn't know why or why and what, you know, kids are always fighting for nothing. Um, and we sat in this circle and I remember we learned this circle style thing somewhere in one of our trainings that we have to do as like 15 year old kids who are watching other people's kids and EEC and all this stuff, you know? Um, and it was like almost a restorative circle now that I, I realize it growing up. Right. So we all sit them in a circle. And I remember after the circle, they were like all good and it felt really all good. Like it felt like everything was laid out there. We talked about it. We did the thing and it's whatever. And I remember learning about juvenile justice in high school because a recruiter came and I was like, oh, that's the that's where the circle comes from. Like, that's where the practices come from. Or like, that's where that's what I really want to know. Like, I, I, yeah, I love being around kids, but I don't want to be a teacher. I don't really want to do like I was kind of just narrowing it down. Like I, I knew the population. I just didn't know what it looked like. And then after hearing about JJYA, I was like, oh, that's what it is. It's that that's what I'm looking for. I just want to be able to nurture or like provide a space where young people can just feel like they can be themselves and explore those things that whether it be like community violence trauma or something that is like hindrance of that growth, like how do we explore that so these kids can like move on and be able to explore their own life, but also hold value to you know as kids from this city we hold so much value of being city kids it's such a huge thing and it's something that I try to get my kids to have a balance of because it's like I want y'all to explore the world we need Boston kids everywhere is like something I like to say we can't just be here um but it it's such a balance because we have so much pride in that so I think just having pride in my own community is what led me to JJYA it's just like I wanted people to have a community like the one I had that I needed. That That's the only reason I went to college, anything. I was a terrible high school student. I graduated with a 
three GPA. And when I tell people that, they're like, what the fuck? That doesn't even track for like, and I'm like, no, it's because I hated school. And I, <laughs> I hated what I was learning in high school. There was no value there for me, you know, but it was just trying to get through. And it, everybody tried to convince that kid that, that I wasn't supposed to get here. And it just took one community to let me know that like, no, everybody's wrong. You just are not in the thing that you need to be in right now you know Mel is it um is it like what would you say was the common track that students took in that program like after they complete what what's the typical kind of like career experience or do they typically go for more education like you did um what would you say y'all for JGOA I feel like we have a lot of DCF folks we have a lot of folks that are very similar to BAM mentorship programs like counseling programs um a lot of our guys did like dual counseling and sports enrichment programs Mm. I've noticed so like like basketball clinics like things of that nature and um so kind of in that gauge of field I was a double major so I've noticed that a lot of the double majors still stay DCF track or still stay kind of like um youth adolescent involved in like a a school system or something of that nature yeah Yeah, I think I was a dual track I think I was I was JJYA and then I had um, a clinical psych background as well so I I think I was a dual major shout out to uh Willie Rodriguez as well He's the Willie Rodriguez. <laughs> yeah. The Shout best. out to him. Um, yeah, thank you for, for sharing that, Mel. And, and you brought up a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff that we we have done also uh, working in our uh as a youth specialist or working as a BAM counselor, like the restorative circles, um, things like that that you know cross over. That's also why I wanted to bring you onto the pod. That's why we wanted to bring you onto the pod was because we, we saw a lot of what you do and a lot of what we do connecting and um, just how do we capture that and document that and get that out there. But also with that, working in these type of organizations, um, unfortunately, I've experienced, I'll speak for myself, I've experienced a lot of toxicity. Um, and some of the people I've worked with, I can, without naming them, they've also experienced a lot of toxicity. And um, recently, um, you had some social media posts about some of the experiences that you face working in these organizations that kind of align with the same thing, the same characteristic of toxicity. And I, I just wanted to give you the floor to speak on that, um, talk about that and just your overall experience. And then we'll chop yeah. it up about what we experienced as well. Yeah, for sure. It sounds so messy like that. Oh, I've seen some stuff on social media. I'm like, fuck, all right. <laughs> hey, social media, is, is, social media is messy, though. <laughs> No, it is. It is. I'm here for the mess. I'm here for um. I'm here for constructive mess. You know what mm. I mean. I'm here for shit mm. that gets stuff, um, kind of like lifted from the soil, so we could talk about the shit and and get get to cultivating new new shit. You know. Mm-hmm. So like, mm-hmm. I'm all for causing a ruckus if it's for something. Um, and I yeah. In terms of toxic, yeah, toxic environments. Nobody really prepares us, I think, for that in school. Or I don't think we talk enough about that as folks who are really. If you think about social work and you think about the context of these systems, they're so. We're we're talking about like we're talking about hundred a year, like hundred years, right? Like, and we're just starting to get into it, like as folks of color and there's no support systems there. There's no books there. There's nobody helping us in terms of like, how do we deal with these systems that 
also mirror our own cultures in a lot of ways? How do we navigate that for like as professionals and as people at the end of the day? And we just don't we don't focus on that enough. Um, but one of those <laughs> one thing that did happen because I pigeonholed myself so much as being like, I want to be this macro kid, this macro kid. Like I want to be I used to say like the Boston kid who's in policy and will run, you know, I'll teach everybody policy. I'll say like I've been able to do all of these things. I grew up here and blah, blah, blah. And I was really excited about that. I was really excited about being especially a Latinx woman in policy and doing something, right? Like in this community that I grew up in and that we're not supposed to look like this in policy on the state house. It's just like, you look like this, but you're a legislative aide or you're something in a caliber of assistance for someone or you're, you know, like it, it's, there's there's barriers to it. So um, I got this opportunity to work with a organization that is supposed supposed to represent women and girls in the state of Massachusetts through policy work. And when I say that, I mean, we essentially are given the duty. That's of supposed which... to. I heard that's supposed to. Yeah. So. Supposed to. <laughs> yeah. Slight shade, right? <laughs> um, so the idea behind this uh, organization is that you have appointed folks from Massachusetts, from these different delegations of departments. And I mean, like appointing authorities, right? So you have... Um, your mass caucus of women legislators, you have different people who appoint these seats and there's 19 of them. Um, ideally, they all represent different sectors of Massachusetts so that when you sit down and have these conversations, everybody has a say in what's being said, what, what, what is the focus and all of these things. Very interesting in terms of like what the context of the actual duties are, right? Like it sounds really cool in theory, which is why I was so intrigued about it. But when you get in there, you realize, oh, my God, it's like what everybody's biggest fears are. It's like the most affluent white women are the ones who are appointed these seats. Like there's some people who represent people who look like me or even not even just in terms of like phenotype. Right. But we're also talking about socioeconomic status, what they do for work, how they grew up. Those are really important things when we're talking about what do we focus this next public hearing on that we want to influence or inform legislation? And then we take we take all the work that we do throughout the year and we create a like a, essentially a report. This report goes to all your state legislators and we're basically saying, look, this is all the things we found and this is what we want you to fight for. So if that from the very ground of it is coming from a place of like non-equity, you know, we haven't talked to this person, we didn't hit anybody from these neighborhoods the whole year, the, what what does that paperwork, what does that report sum up to? Not much, right? And I think the easiest part for people within these status positions is like, I just did a report. I'm hot shit. Regardless of what the report says, regardless of like <laughs> what it comes out to be, their name's still on the front of the report and they still get the accreditation for said report. And I think that in terms of toxic workplace, I didn't even think like I'm going to I'm going to be real and I'm going to be honest with you. And I'm please, saying this as a social please. worker. When people used to talk about toxic workplace, it was a really hard thing for me to wrap my head around because I just couldn't fathom or understand that an outside system could have such an influence or impact on someone. 
and then I got into it. And I think it's like one of those things that like, you really have to understand for yourself to understand how deep it goes. It affects your personhood. It affects the way you see yourself, your work output. You start saying shit like, I was never good at this. I don't even know what I was thinking. You start five o'clock in the morning thinking about, I should just send that email right now so I don't have to do it when I get in at nine. Like it affects your entire life. And the hardest part about this is COVID hit. I was in this job for one month before COVID hit and then COVID hit and everybody wanted to know how women felt about COVID mm. and guess who was behind all the research about, Oh my God, we got to find about how's everybody feeling about COVID. Oh my God. Oh my God. There was women behind that work that we're still to this day, like working through that healing because it was so traumatic for us to do that work within such a high rate and such a hard, like just what was expected of us in so that not just, time not just navigating that for other people this is something i'll talk about later if, if it comes up but navigating the pandemic for yourself in that time as an individual not a I worker yeah i don't even and then I, being asked to do that for the organization which doesn't regard your time or autonomy and needs stuff to get done um that work-life balance becomes very stressful yeah, non-existent, non-existent. Mm. I don't even, um, I can't even reflect on the, like the beginning of COVID for myself. I started this job January, it COVID hit in March. And by the end of March, they wanted us to have some survey out to the community discussing like wow. how COVID was affecting them. Um, we were all remote and we were pray like we were pushed on these arbitrary deadlines for survey after survey after survey um like we you have to meet with the board too so while all this is happening right it's not even like you can make your own decisions you're also meeting with people to make decisions for you and they're fighting and doing all those things in the interim of this so like when i think of covid it's really difficult for me cuz i don't even think about it within the context of myself it's more so i'm thinking about all of the heightened stress and anxiety I had because of all the delivery outputs I had. Like I had to be responsible for surveys, for hearings. We wanted to hear about this. And then we're compiling all of that in a report and we have to have emergency meetings with everybody and it needs to happen immediately or it doesn't matter. And, and, you know, we were, we were going through a pandemic too, you know, like my boss was losing people like it, it was people were going through it it was like but we didn't it wasn't we weren't regarded in that sense when we were talking about what were women going through within the state they didn't mean us and mm. the mm. most eerie part of that is like out of us there was two folks of color and that was the folks on the staff that were being imposed on the most like yes my ed was going through it but there were a lot of things that she did to herself because she didn't take what she the steps she needed to as a leader right mm -hmm. and you can't impose certain things on staff members if the leadership is not doing what is needed um so all of it was it, it all sucked and i still it's like a blur sometimes in terms of all of the things that happen with that especially during covid and did it matter? Yeah, it got them the million dollar like budget they never had, you know, but did we all drown in the process? Absolutely. Did an ED of 16 years leave? Yes. Did every single staff person leave and turn over? Yes. So they got it, the but burnout. they, 
they've burnt everybody out for it mm. and no folks of color have ever left that place like healthy you know mm-hmm. so it's like you got it for, at what cost so it's do you, yeah do you do you feel like you're still recovering from just that, just that just that aspect of work I mean that's that's tough right in the sense of you know the expectation coming down from leadership of this is what we need to do but then also not understanding the impact of like you said like we're dealing with a pandemic like We've never done with that with something like this before, um, which ultimately we have to retreat back to our homes. So now it's like that work life balance is 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 skewed because I'm still being expected to do something at a very high level where I'm just low key chilling in my crib trying to survive. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it was um, one of those things that you were never doing enough and it was never, no matter how good you were doing, it wasn't enough output. And I think that's one of those big differentiators of when we talk about toxic workplace and toxic abuse is when it really feels like you're doing everything within your power and you're still being met with, that's not good enough for me. Mm-hmm. Really start to question like, okay, who the other person on the other end of this is saying, what are they looking for from me? Is it just complete dishevelment? Because oftentimes you'll realize it's just like, they're looking for that diehard loyalty of that you can't, you can't give without sacrificing yourself. And you mm-hmm. don't do it because you want to. It's a slow, innate very intentional process that people do to you so you kind of succumb to that pressure or you're just looking for any little thing it's, it's to manipulative. validation it's manipulative and, ga- and it's gaslighting i know that's a that's a term that's popular now but Careful, uh, without people really understanding what it is but at least in my experience we were gaslit for sure being told uh one thing on one day doing it that way and then the next day being told that's not what i asked for that's not how I would have gotten it. And to be honest with you, it makes you you question, like you said, you started off with your why of like why you got into this work. And the more you continue to do something, like you said, it's just, it's not enough. So it's just like, damn, I'm doing everything in my power to meet a specific deadline. And still that's not enough, right? What what were you going to say, Mook? I was going to ask, I was going to ask a question. This is kind of for, for everybody. It just kind of, you know, coincides with, with the work that um, me and Mr. Powell are um, doing uh, currently right now, but in. Yo, it's not Mr. Powell, bro. I apologize. I apologize. It's so The government has been said so many times. He's not going to be happy with us after this. It's shit. Exactly. <laughs> so, right. but, but the question is, do you think that these companies have to go through this? So this turnover and, and really having to look internally to realize that there's growth from this. So do you think that they're seeing this and realizing, okay, well, there must be something wrong if there's turnover from these companies, that's something that we have to do on our side to change. So do you think that, do you think that there has to be these kind of things, not saying that it's right or anything, but has to be these kind of downward slopes for them to yeah. grow from? No, I hear you. And I think I definitely, and this is very such a unique example in that like I stayed through all of these turnovers. I I stayed after my ED left and I actually hired the, e, the ED who fired me um, or tried to anyways. And then very messy, but um, mm. it, 
it, like I thought that too. And that was one of those big things of like, okay, you know what? It is, it is up to me. I, I've been fucking up as a social worker. I feel like shit. Like, I feel like I've been selling out. Like, let me just try to stick this through and see if this just needs to maybe, maybe somebody needs to bring it to light. Maybe someone needs to do this. And I I tried all that. I I you know I I did the conversations. I requested the meetings. I went to union. I mm. I went to all the executive meetings. I did all of the things, and it 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 would didn't matter. It was like I was seen as too radical. I was told that you know I was I was too much. I that mm-hmm. if I wanted to succeed, there was one day. And this was my this was my breaking point. I was sitting at this very desk and there was um, we have a lot of interns because this is, you know, this organization is while it really if you're a part of it, you really understand what I mean by toxic workplace. But at the scope of it, from the outside of it, it can do a lot for you. And I think like so we always get interns. That was never an issue. So we have like three or four interns and we're in this uh, little Microsoft <laughs> Outlook meeting, Teams meeting, hate that damn sound. And then you like all of us are sitting there and there was a situation in a in the executive in a meeting the night before where there was something that was said that people were not fucking with. And we were like, this is not okay. We can't we can't even come to these meetings and just have a normal conversation without something flagrant being said. (laughs) And then people feeling like we got to have a whole nother conversation Mm -hmm. because something flagrant was said. It's like, what the fuck? Are we coming here to work or not? So. We, we try to have this conversation with our leadership, right? This is the second that the ED, they got, they got the other ED to leave. We got a new ED. So we're sitting there and she's scared out of her mind to lose this job that she just snagged, right? So it's like, she's sitting there and she's looking at all of us with, with her other fellow leadership on the side. And she's like, what we need to do is we need to bite our tongues and we need to just, you, we just need to let stuff ride out. And we just like that's how we're gonna approach it. And then once we uh get a little traction in the next couple months, then we'll address the behavior. Wow. And that's how familiar she is. It, so I said, wow. I said, wow. It I, was one just, of those things. It, I re- I remember just I have my notebook on my side of my my desk, and I remember quoting it and writing, mm. bite our tongues, sit down. And I was like, wow, we really said that too. 19 20 21 year old impressionable ass kids mm-hmm. who women. came here to learn about women yeah women yeah to bite their tongue but bite their tongue like sit down and in the thing where you're supposed to have a voice talk about policy talk about yourself where you land in the world why you matter bite your tongue we don't care how you feel when you're doing the work just do the work Mm. And then for that, for me, it was it was too much. I couldn't. There was so many things. Right. But to sit there and see these young people who are trying to learn from us, who are trying to and people don't realize it's like those those internships and the stuff that you do when you're 19, 20, 21, they influence you so heavily in like what you look for in the world. So if you pick up bad habits or pick up things like you can really just follow that path and like what feels comfortable. and it was just, I couldn't get over it. And it was just one of those things that I can't believe we just sat there and we just told everybody that. And I, 
if, if that's how they feel and that's what they want to do and wait a couple more months, I've been sitting here for two years. Mm-hmm. I promise you whatever conversation you're going to have in a couple months is not going to make any difference that the last six people in the last two and a half years have tried to do. Like I've been screaming practically from the top of my lungs and it didn't make a difference. So I, I think. I, yeah, I feel very connected to that statement. Mel. Uh, I feel one thing I wrote down from a meeting that I had with my bosses was when our boss said, y'all can talk to you blue in the face. We ain't changing shit. And I was like, wow. All right. That was my moment of, okay, now I really see where I stand in this organization. Um, and, and again, I feel connected to that. I wrote letters. I sent stuff to HR. I talked to different leadership. I talked to leadership in different cities. I talked to their bosses, bosses, um, tried doing yep. the restorative circles, <laughs> yep. doing all bringing in a consultant, bringing in a consultant, <laughs> doing conflict management. Yep. And it's just what, what was the heartbreaking part for me was we have core values um, at the old place that I work. And we were trying to impart these core values on the students we work with being integrity, accountability, positive anger expression uh, are the ones that I'm thinking about. And when we were at, when it was turned on to the leadership for the way the leadership was was behaving in these meetings and the way the leadership was moving and trying to manage and supervise us was, you know, are you, are you moving with integrity? Are you practicing positive anger self, positive, uh, positive anger expression? Are you practicing accountability? Are you holding yourself accountable? It was met with throw all that bam shit out the window, throw all that shit out the window. We're not talking about that right now. Mm. And it's like, so how am I supposed to sit here with my integrity and lead stu- lead the students, lead the scholars that I'm leading, teaching them this information that is not being modeled? And modeling is a big part of the job, that job. Modeling is a big part of, um, you know, social emotional learning work. And how are we not supposed to practice that with you not practicing it yourself? Mm-hmm. So do you even believe in what we're doing or are you just doing this for the look? Like you said, mm-hmm. that accreditation that that accreditation that was coming, that recognition that's coming, uh, being in front of the cameras, um, news crews, all that stuff that I had to do, that I was in the position that I led those and facilitated those meetings with different reporters, with different news outlet, outlets that you got recognition for. Is that what you're doing this for? Because you was mad when we only had 35 people in the MFA and you said, I can't post this on social media because the, the room is not full of scholars. And you're not even celebrating the mm-hmm. scholars that did show up, like that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, before I continue on a rant, <laughs> yeah, that's talk the your type shit. Of stuff that really <laughs> no, me no, because yeah, it's your like shit. you're. That's what it is, and it's mm-hmm. like the, there's nothing more, I think, venomous, right, <laughs> than utilizing this idea of like these are our values, and like look, you're not even adhering to them, or look, like you're not even like this idea of like. I don't know that they're just not, do you not see what you're doing to the collective and the numbers thing, my Lanta, they will run you ragged (laughs) over the numbers thing. It is so ridiculous. Like I've had people say that my shit's not successful because only 200 people's eyeballs saw it on Facebook or this, or I'm not doing my job because X, Y, Z. And it's like the the people that we're supposed to be talking to aren't even at this fucking thing. So it doesn't matter. Mm. Okay. Mm. Like we're not even hitting what we're supposed to hit anyways but there is something too to say about when people look like us in leadership 
and then they pull the same old song and dance that everybody else does in these points of leadership oh it, it hits a little more it just stings a little bit more in terms of like I know that we shouldn't be putting and I've learned this at this job specifically don't put false expectations on nobody wow. not even people who look like you because mm. you're gonna set yourself up in a way that is so much more painful than it can be sometimes and it, it it's more so of like I just want it just hit it just hit me so differently than I thought like even dealing with my ED for two years who was so burnt out so vexed you know and she did me so dirty and then to get this person and only have to navigate her for three months it was worse than that whole two years Mm. it was way worse I'm with you that's the situation I'm in right now with the person the the director of my program that brought in and the toxic situation that was caught up with that director and then having to go through the process of talking to HR and talking with the union and going through that till eventually that part, that director was put on administrative leave and didn't come back. Um, and then the next person that came in, in the first month, the situation got even worse. Yep. So it's like, if I just kept my black ass quiet <laughs> and just endured that toxicity, I at least would have been in a position where I already know what I'm getting with that person. It's like, you know, you got to pick your poison or choose the devil, you know, like I had mm-hmm. the devil I know, and I went with the devil I don't. And that devil screwed me over in a larger way than the first devil did. And yeah. it's like, well, it's I'm here, like I was real stupid. Go ahead, Reem. What's interesting too, is like, you guys are speaking about really what happened when COVID struck was that agencies kind of had this like culture shift where employees were being burnt out. And they really had to question their practices, right? And so, like, all of this stuff that we're, like, you guys are talking about was the norm for so long, right? And it wasn't until we had this global pandemic where people were stressed, mental health was at an all-time high, that people were really even starting to say something. And even now, it's still not perfect, but at least people are, are more comfortable to speak up. Um, but what you guys are talking about and that calling out, you know, supervisors, bosses, leadership, like that stuff wasn't things that you could previously do. And now we're seeing that that culture shift mm-hmm. and it's caused agencies and institutions to have to be thoughtful about it. And I always think about like, now it's now it's tough to find an agency that doesn't have a DEI committee, right? Like every mm-hmm. agency has some sort of committee that's, you know, engaged with building their community and, you know, fighting for equity, right? All of that. And it's it, it becomes really tough to figure out how, how true that goal is when all of those agencies started it after, you know, the response from George Floyd, after the response from, you know, Black Lives Matter. And, and so it gets to this point where, like you guys are saying, the agencies have these values of, you know, integrity and, you know, positive anger uh, expression, whatever that means, like, but the leadership is not following it, right? And when you see that, like, Mel, you said it so well, and that, like, if you, if you see that, and the leadership is not doing it, what are the interns going to think? What are your staff going to think? What are the consumers or the um, clients or the patients or whatever that is working with the company going to think, you know? And these are all things that, and I don't say this to excuse any agency, but I, I say it to explain in that these are things that we're just now realizing and trying to figure out, you know, like we're, mm-hmm. it's only been a few years removed from kind of the peak of the pandemic. And a lot of the agencies, a lot of us had to kind of figure this out on the fly. And I think that's what makes it so difficult is we're still so deep in that right now that we haven't, we really haven't had the time to fully process it, right? There's right. still 
things related to COVID that affect us every day and the policies and things that came from that that affect us every day. So we're still trying to process like, what just happened? Like, why did five staff members just leave in a week's period of time? You know, I got a new ED, new supervisor, and they like, we're still trying to understand where all that came from. And I think just now we're realizing like, it was just really poor kind of management in some sense, but like a lack of awareness around self-care and just taking care of yourself and having that integrity from the top down to be able to follow through with what you're going to say to support the people that are, are working with you, you know? Yeah. So like hearing you guys talk about that, it's it, it's crazy to think because I'm sure a lot of agencies dealt with that. I know a lot of agencies dealt with that. Um, and it's just, it, it, it's frustrating on one sense, but then you realize like, a lot of people went through something similar like that and are still trying to figure it out, you know, right now. Yeah. Reem, thank you for bringing that up. Cause I think for someone who stayed, <laughs> um, throughout the process, I think my leadership now is at a point where they're acknowledging all the fucked up shit, like all the fuckery mm -hmm. that took place during that time, you know, um, HR coming in and recognizing, yo, there's eight people in the span of two months that just left. Like, yo, y'all don't see an issue with that? Like, what's what's going on? Let's do let's do some stay interviews. So I think it starts with that acknowledgement piece, mm -hmm. um, but then also cult, uh, creating a space, a safe space, kind of like what we do with our students, creating a safe space for the employees to feel comfortable enough to point out, you know, some things. I'll be the first one to say, yo, I'm, I was in there. Like, yo, this... This stay interview is long overdue. And if we did this a little bit earlier, maybe this could have steered the course of actions in a different direction. Um, so Yeah, I, I see. Yeah, it's it's go ahead, D. Go ahead. No, I was gonna say, I think the the bigger question that I'd be asking myself after these two different experiences, after hearing what Mel's talking about mm -hmm. and what Reem's speaking about, is like, yo, how do we as people who want to serve this community in this community um do the work that we do? like acknowledging the barriers and obstacles that the system has for our students, mm. that it's also very triggering and traumatic for us as people of color or um, as a woman working with women who have to deal with these things um, in that place while also dealing with work. And it's like trying to solve, trying to solve the problem in a system that we all acknowledge is broken. Mm -hmm. um so like we're just becoming part of the system but the system is broken another cog in the machine that's a broken machine um mm -hmm. that's how i'm trying to rationalize it with myself um but you have to rationalize it like like mook was talking about like the things need to get done yeah. um and if i'm not in if i'm not doing it you know who else will um but also like is there a way that these organizations in which Rashawn was just talking about can start realizing that yes, at the end of the day, it's always gonna be about the scholars, it's always gonna be about the client, but if we're not taking care of our employees, if we're not making sure that we're putting our employees um, at the top of our priorities, there is no client, there is nope. no scholar. Right. Yep. Nothing Absolutely. gets done, no. Absolutely. You cannot create, give energy to something else if you yourself do not does not have the capacity nor the energy to. And I think the big differentiator, at least for myself is, you know, there's shit that's always going to happen in any system that we work in or engage in. And there's always going to be either a person, a thing or systematic 
avenue that we don't enjoy about where we're at. So like the big thing for me is, is there space to talk about it in a safe manner as y'all mm. are talking about here? Can I bring up something and feel as though it'll be heard, listened to, and we'll create a plan or a system in place that will acknowledge that? Um, or is it going to just live in the ether and never be talked about again? I think one thing that I do, because I, I try to be weaponized against you later Yo, on. Stop it, stop it. Hey, chill out. <laughs> yeah. Chill out. Stop. Don't go there. <laughs> it, it's one of those things that, you know, with um, unfortunate with this toxic, you know, example or this thing that I've gone through, I've gotten really good at understanding when things are really taking in value or taking heed of what you're saying and when people are just not listening to or don't give a fuck. So one thing that I am very thankful for is now having this experience. I know how to differentiate spaces that actually mean what they say and say what they mean. The job that I have now is very much that. Like I can bring up something and bring up a concern and I know it'll be heard. I know it'll be listened to. If I have two colleagues that are not getting along, they're going to a restorative justice circle. Like that's mm. that that's the environment that I'm in now and I'm incredibly thankful for that because that allows me to know that if there's anything that I have qualms with or I, I want to talk through, it's going to be heard and received and there'll be a plan in place. I can put my energy towards that 100% because the fact of the matter is like it doesn't mean my job's not hard. There's days where I'm like, I hate these systems. I'm constantly dealing with BHA. I'm constantly dealing with every, like it, I'm, I'm always upset at a system, but what makes it great is that my team dynamic I'm, I'm nurtured, I'm held, and I can do that really tough work and know I can come back to my home base and I can talk through that without having to bring it home too, right? Because we have families mm -hmm. and they should be allowed also the peace and space of us just having a good time together versus us always having to talk about our clients at home. And like that, that too, of like having a, a space and environment that lets me separate that where I can literally like pull my coworker out of their office and be like, yo, can I talk about this before I leave? Because I don't want to bother my family about it. And they're like, yes, yes. <laughs> Let's sit down and talk about it before you leave. And it's like, I love that. And I'm I'm very thankful that this experience has allowed me to see the light in other experiences or identify really solid things about different environments. I, I kind of want to ask uh, all you guys a question again, too. Um, obviously, you had all went through, um, obviously, traumatic situations with, you know, during the pandemic with, you know, your leadership and, and things like that. Um, obviously, uh, at the other end of it, uh, the spectrum now, you guys are leaders in your um, current roles. So I wouldn't say, did that really empower you to be the leader that you wanted now, that you had went through that and seen what what negatives you've seen on, on your end of it? Did it really empower you to, okay, like, this is what I'm going to take away. Okay. Maybe there's some stuff that I did like that I want to kind of bring back to, to my former leadership or there's stuff that I didn't like that. I want to make sure that this is not going to be something that is going to, you know, continue with me. Yeah. yeah. Um, there, there's, it's difficult and, and it's getting caught up in the cycle of trauma where I don't want to now, because I've gone through it, impart that same thing on the students that I'm supervising or on the workers that I'm supervising. So, like, there's there's times when when I'll get an, an excuse or, yeah, I mean, I'll get an excuse from one of my one of my supervisees, like, of why they couldn't do something or why they couldn't come to work. And in my head, I'm like, yo, that's bullshit. You know, uh, I was able to do that. You should be able to do that. Oh. But it's like, okay, let me 
<laughs> let me reframe that and figure out how I want to have that conversation because that was one of the things that pissed me off when I was when I was in that position was hearing that from my manager like yo I did it so why can't you do it mm. so like from that aspect it's like yeah I can hear I try to be very very mindful of when um that toxic management <laughs> for less less of a word that toxic leadership comes up so I can address it and figure out how to better communicate that but as Mel said, now I know how to structure my communication. Um, Shiz and I have these threads going back and forth of less of messages that I'll be sending my supervisees. Like, but I'm like, I'm like, yo, Shiz is gonna get a kick out of this. Like when they're trying to get me to run around, or Shiz will tell me when some of the people he's managing try to give him to run around. And like now we've created that space with us to like bounce these things back off of each other to figure out, okay, how do we how do we do that without being without giving what we got. Um, mm. But at the same time, I know there's times where I need to use courageous conflict. There's another word for you, Kareem. Uh, courageous, courageous conflict resolu resolution and being able to work with these students to actually challenge them and not go the op too far in the opposite direction, which is to be way too soft with them because I'm like, you know what? I experienced these things, so I'm not going to come down on you like people came down on me because I don't want you to feel anything. It's like, no, I still have a leader that I need to build. I still have work that needs to get done. So it's just like, sometimes the conversations are going to be difficult to have, but they need to be, they need to be had. And I'm trying to be very conscious of how I have them. And I do think I picked that up better than anything else from my past experiences and working with toxic bosses. Mm -hmm. um, but there's, there's also great stuff that I learned from them as well. Like if I'm being absolutely honest, and I think there's the, that's the, one of the, we talked about duality earlier, complexities. There's a lot of the leadership that I have, they are great at doing the work themselves. Like they have a proven track record of doing the work themselves. But when you're trying to lead other people, they can't lead other people. Mm -hmm. But for the work, the actual work, the individual client work, working with the Scott, they're great at that. They're amazing at that. And they've done a knockout job at that. But then when it comes to managing and directing, like logistically and organization and managing people, it's just the, the drop off in that. So I do respect their work ethics in that sense. I respect the work that they put in to get to where they're at. Mm -hmm. um, I know that they had to hustle for that. Yeah, I agree with that, too. I think it's like even thinking in the context of that job I'm ref in reference to, it's like it's taught me a lot in terms of what folks of color, particularly black women, have to do in order to succeed in these spaces and what that also can play a role in in terms of like what type of persona you have to uphold and like all of these things that come to that attachment of that power so like recognizing that that is incredibly difficult for any individual plus adding your identities or anything attached to that and um the power of relationships is also something that I've been taught within this in both a, a pro and a con context um but one thing that greatly helped me was our interns that we had I leaned on these young people and they leaned on me and we got through this really, really terrible thing together. Mm -hmm. And even having, um, I don't know if folks watch Survivor. I definitely didn't before this uh, job. And then one of my interns said, Mel, this is like, you're, you're looking at this all wrong. You got to look at this like Survivor. And I was like, what are you talking about? I don't even know what this, I don't, I've never seen that show before. She's like, just trust me, watch an episode. Tell me it's not exactly like this job. 
I watched one episode. I'm I'm like 15 seasons in now because it. <laughs> I tell you, it teaches you so much about human behavior and human, mm. just what people will do, how people pre- like you know try to create leadership within a form of non-leaders or like how people manipulate votes. Because my job was commit, it was a commission, so people had to vote, and a lot of that used to take place too. So seeing those uh, human dynamics helped me greatly. Like I'm just playing a game. You know, like this is just a game amongst people and everybody's going to go home after this game and no one's going to give a fuck about this game until we play the next level. And that alone, like helped me like really survive through the rest of the process because I was like, I'm just playing along. I'm just playing a role. Like that's all I'm doing right now. And that just helped me frame of like, I'll get through this. This will end. And like this, this will just be an experience that I can reference as like a really shitty one, but like one that has taught me, you know, what it means to be resilient, what people will do when they feel like their backs are against the wall. Mm. Huge, you know? Mm-hmm. I think we we often discredit people's self-preservation and what people will do when mm-hmm. they think that they're in trouble. And I mm-hmm. think like it it has helped me be incredibly empathetic in a very ironic way of people not really giving me much empathy. I have kind of gained a lot of empathy for other people in leadership Mm. and in a way of like, you know what, you probably treated me like that because there was five other people who treated you like that. And you think that's the normal thing to do. You think you're, you're molding me into some like, like I'm going to be great because you're giving me this tough love. Like it, sometimes people are just, doing what they know and doing what they think is the right way because that's what they were taught. Not necessarily because, you know, it's anything else, but just because that's what's in their tool belt. It's They don't have anything else there within their capacity. I feel like that's such an important thing to recognize is that like a lot of times we look at people make decisions and we're like, why the fuck did they do that? That's stupid. That's dumb. But it's like, I think what helps you to like ground yourself and to, um, help come from a place of more understanding as opposed to like blaming or something else would be recognizing that everybody goes through some sort of rational decision-making in their head. Mm -hmm. Like even if to us, it doesn't seem rational in their mind, they went through something that said, if I do this, this might happen. If I do this, this might happen. And for them, they thought it was the best decision, you know, in that situation, you know, like as human beings, we do what we can do you know, to protect ourselves, our loved ones, but like, we're always going through some form of hierarchy and rationalization in our decisions. And so like, Mel, like you just said, like, I can totally think about situations where people have said things to me and I'm like, like, what? Like, are you serious? Like, you really did that? You really said that? Like, why would you? But then I'm thinking like, oh, wait, like they went through this, 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 and this. And if I put myself in their shoes, I I could kind of understand why they might do that. You know, but like, we don't do that enough. Like we just, we see the end product and see the A did B and I'm upset at B. So I'm upset, with, I'm, I'm upset with A, but you don't go through like what actually happened to get to A to B, right? Mm-hmm. And there, there's so much work that can be done in just coming from a place of understanding, coming from a place of asking questions. Like, okay, so this is what you want me to do. Can I ask like why this is? Like, why did you get these goals? Are these arbitrary numbers? Are these based in some sort of, you know, data um, like when you can ask those questions and when you can do it in a place where you can feel brave enough to ask those questions, cause that can be difficult, but when you can have those conversations, like that's what helps you to understand where people are coming from and build those relationships. Cause it's so easy just to, to hear something or, or see something 
and then just kind of make an assumption based on your experiences or what you've heard and think, oh, this person did this because of this. But like when, when you realize people do things for a reason and most of the time they're willing to explain their reason if you ask them, mm-hmm. it, it helps so much to be able to learn and understand like, okay, you do stuff like that. I don't really want to be associated with that, but at least I know now, now I can, I can make my own decisions or it's like, oh, you did it like this. Like maybe I can help you in future situations to look at it differently. And then you can have just options when you decide. Um, but it, it's so cool to hear you say that. Cause I think that's so important that people don't really talk about very much. Yeah. And no love, like, yes, a lot of things, the end goal is that you want people to grow and you want people to evolve and you want this big organization who now has a million dollar budget that will most likely be solidified because once you get a line item like that, it's really hard to not get it again, you know? And Mm -hmm. it's like, you want to believe that there's going to be some evolution in that work. And if that meant a little personal struggle, if that meant like you having to be the voice and you having to lose a lot, you know, cause not going to lie. Like I was threatened with a lot of shit. I was mm. th- like, even there was a, for a couple months after I left, I was really anxious about it because I knew a lot. And there's mm. a lot of things that I still know that if people wanted to come out of the woodwork and say that this place really affected them, it could be a big thing, you know? And it's like, not to say that, you know, there's not room for growth, but I'm not one for holding grudges. And I really would like to believe that the work or the efforts that folks have put into that organization is the reason why they have those things, because they had to do some of that work to get that end goal. Mm-hmm. Um, And like, even the ED that was there for 16 years, like, I was looking for another job, I had to swallow my pride and make that phone call and be like, I need a recommendation because you have been working under you mm. for two years, you know, and mm-hmm. we had to have that really, you know, we did a zoom. It was awkward. She looked at, at me and was like, I failed and I'm sorry. And like, people are allowed that forgiveness. People mm. are allowed to grow from the really shitty parts of themselves and be able to be better. And I really do believe that that's why I do what I do and that's why I'm a social worker because I believe restorative justice works I really believe that people can work through the most difficult parts of themselves and really be sorry I truly believe that so I I'm never going to withhold any of that for anyone because that's a process that a person goes through on their own so I like to believe that as we give more empathy and we give more forgiveness, we're not only doing that for the other individual, but for ourselves as well. We got to move on. We got shit to do, as we said earlier, you know, and we can't be that person for people if we're still in the middle of our shit. So Mm -hmm. I try my best, not only for, you know, my clients, but for myself too, of like, I can't be in a space of help if I'm still working through my stuff. And like my boss, when I got to my new job, my first course of action was completing a restorative justice course and like doing that for eight weeks with 10 other people and being really honest about shit we got to work on and doing a circle and safe container and all that beautiful stuff. And then I felt really ready to get into my work. And and that's because my leadership set me up that way. And I think that that's like really important as we're thinking about how do we work in systems that 
really directly go against our kids in all aspects, right? How do we feel comfortable enough that we don't feel like sellouts or et cetera of all these things that we talk about? It's having those solid ass people that like come through for these kids like you would or you would want to. Like my my director is someone that like I tell her all the time, I want to be just like you come through for kids I've never seen somebody come through for. They call her on the phone all day, every day. She picks up every time. It's mm. like the way they hug her, love her, like just genuinely care about her existence because she always shows up that's like that's who the people I want to surround myself with I don't mind working in systems where people like that exist some the system's doing a tiny bit something right to to get someone like that in Mm. here even if for a little bit right like that I always say like there's there's gifts in systems because there's so much privilege that we hold in society with these systems we can't we can't knock that in that way like I work for a really big hospital when I say that name when I'm advocating for a kid it actually does a lot in a way that I didn't even think about you know but it does so we have to be able to be creative with the systems that we engage in does it make all of them inherently wrong it's how do you be creative about utilizing them for the kids that we serve Wow, I, I that was very profound. Um, I I love. I mean, I just love. I love everything that you just said. Um, I mean, just and, and y'all are doing it. Yeah, no, but y'all are doing it. I see it in the work that y'all do. Like I was just telling everybody before y'all got in. Like it's so beautiful to see the little different things that y'all advocate for, the different types of aspects or work that you do. It's it's amazing. It's like we're obviously doing something right for us to be gravitating towards these systems in a way, right? right? So it's like how do we utilize it to our advantage? You know, not all privileges are bad. It's just how do we acknowledge said privilege and then work our way to utilize it so it how works for our kids I, yeah how I to say you gotta finesse the system <laughs> always <laughs> always it's playing chess not checkers right Absolutely. That's, that's another thing i always say yeah so i think you you summed it up greatly i think that's a great place for us to end the conversation today um that was a really high note to end on um, leading with empathy and forgiveness not just to clear for not to clear your head for the work that you do but also for yourself and understanding the power that you have as an individual. And that's something that I have to remember and remind myself is like, yo, I do have power in these situations. Sometimes when I feel like I'm powerless, you know? mm-hmm. mm. um, but does anybody have any other questions that they would like to ask Mel before we wrap it up? No, just, just one takeaway. I think for me uh, and, and something I'm going to take out of Mel's book is, is forgiveness <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Cause I think, even still to this day, uh, full disclosure, there is some resentment that I uh, I carry. Of course, um, we're people and we're you know hurt. I mean? So yeah, it's yeah, forgiveness, forgive, but don't. I'm not gonna forget. No, you no, know what no, I'm no. I ain't gonna forget that shit. <laughs> but no, that that really put a lot into perspective for me because if once I forgive rather than resent this person, then we can move. You know, to and a, they don't have any power over you exactly that exactly yeah. that's what it is yeah all right cool before i kick it to mook uh mel one question for you yeah um do you would you prefer listening to justin timberlake or ed sheeran wait who, okay, do, you, wait. who do you think is better just we I just we just, 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 just see you know, know. can i have a follow-up 
Why are these the options? This experiment question. is already tainted right now because of how you asked the question. So, just ask it the Did he ask it then? Ask the question. Nah, D, it, it can't be asked anymore because the, the experience. We, so, we, we got a tainted experimentation right, so, right now. So, we got so to throw, throw it out. We got to throw it a little, out. A little but back still answer. Still answer. <laughs> so uh, do you want me to provide context or do you want no, to? Go ahead. You, you can provide some context. Go I would ahead. like go context. Ahead. Of course. So um, no, actually, I there's, there's, there's not really any context to go with it. I'm actually still trying to figure out uh, why this popped in, you know, one of my co-hosts mind in terms of, you know, Ed Sharon being better than Justin Timberlake. Right. That's that's okay, that's what Go was ahead. said Go on me. the group. <laughs> you want to see you you put you put words I, in I my mouth a, and we on a, a podcast right now. This is recorded. Kareem who said this is it was recorded. <laughs> oh, all right, Mel. Let me let me let me break this down really quick. Okay. I was you know in my Apple Music just kind of scrolling through some songs here and there, and I had some Ed Sheeran pop up, and I was like, damn, this guy is pretty good. He's talented, and for whatever reason the name that came up was Justin Timberlake. And so as a just genuine guy, I, I texted my buddies and I was like, hey, is it crazy for me to compare Ed Sheeran to Justin Timberlake? Never yes. did I say, is he better? Never oh, did okay. I say, is he currently better? I just asked, is it crazy to compare? Look Yo, at the he's switching it up. He's these these guys want to act I mean, like we we gotta, we gotta, I got some lunatic like that, that I can't compare <laughs> accolades right now that Justin Timberlake is here and Edge here. Like I, I see that I can either. I can use Google, but <laughs> it's music, man. It's it's my taste. It's it's just what it is, you know. I had a feeling it's subjective. I just I just yeah. Yeah. can I show a question? Also a Justin you know? Timberlake song, but you know. I got a what do you got to say, Mook? I know you're about to say something. What do you got to say? I'm just asking, like, is there anything that Ed Sheeran does better than Justin Timberlake besides singing? Like, is there anything he does better? I don't even know if I put singing better. I think he sings better than, than Justin Timberlake. Stop it. It stops there. Stop it. It stops He's there. He's a good vocalist, but I feel like we would have to do a side-by-side. -side. I don't know if there's no can... There's no need to do a side-by-side. <laughs> well, well, see, we're not trying to fence. We're not trying to fence. Yes or no. Yeah. He's a mild man, guy. He's a nice, nice guy. Right now, We're not gonna do that. Mel, you can be. Nah, see, Mel understands me. Mel, we on the social revive right now. Mel's not gonna. She's not gonna crush me right now. Okay, don't do that. <laughs> To give it to Kareem, Ed Sheeran is a great vocalist. But if we're doing like a versus, I'm sorry, Timberlake has it all the way. It's, yeah, can't, I, I can't do that. Versus yeah, Ed Sheeran, I'm not that. Up. Hey, I'm not, I'm not she said but that. she said but so that completely negates everything that she said before. <laughs> ah. she said prior. Yep. All right, thank you oh, for man. your insight, Mel. We definitely, sure. we definitely, or I'll speak for myself. I enjoyed having you on the podcast. One thing that we've been trying to do more is find more more avenues for uh the lady the the lady voice the lady perspective and so we really appreciate you bringing that um because mm -hmm. it's just dudes talking dude stuff on here <laughs> and sometimes we get into a uh, echo chamber where we're being um with our with our masculinity and we're just not really seeing the stuff that we need to see so we appreciate having you here and definitely would love to have you back whenever you're available um to talk more stuff out because that I know you could probably talk more about that topic, but just other topics as well. Whenever you need to remind Kareem about his music taste, <laughs> um, but anyways, or lack of the good people where to find us, man. You can find us at off the rip dot podcast or off the rip underscore podcast. So, like I always say, tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend to give us a listen. You won't be disappointed. And it's been another episode of Off the Rip. Oh, yeah,
homies on that drug bitch. All the family fuck up split. All the minds corrupted. All that trying to good luck with. It's too late for you. It's too late for me. The game ain't fair. I don't make the rules. But if you break free, ain't nobody care. The worst thing to do is forget about where you